Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today, and what a day it is. Of course, it is the day after National Ag Day, which is a time of celebration of agriculture across the country, not just in Washington, D.C., which is where we heard from Max Armstrong on yesterday's program, but throughout our countryside. We are seeing groups get together to celebrate the impact of agriculture, and I had the chance to be a part of one of those celebrations this morning. I am coming to you from Huntington, Indiana, on the campus of Huntington University. I had the chance to work with an ag breakfast this morning, talk to folks from around the school, and we talked about the ag program specifically. We're going to talk in just a moment with Nate Perry, the Managing Director of the Hopper Institute for Ag Studies here at, uh, at Huntington University. Before segment two, we're going to check in with Poultry Exports to Japan. The USA Peak Winter Meeting is happening over there. We're going to get a call from Tokyo in segment three about how that's developing. Before, we're going to talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from Stonex here in segment three about what's moving in these markets today. And finally, we're going to close with a look at weather from our friend Greg Solier, meteorologist with This Week in Agribusiness. But we're going to dive in. I want to talk about what it's like to stand up a new ag program here in the 21st century. And Huntington University has done just that. Nate Perry, Managing Director of the Hopper Institute for Ag Studies. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about the Ag program here at Huntington. How long has it been around? So the program actually launched in uh, 2013, a group of ideas. You know, people came together and said, we think we can do this. 2014, that came to a little more uh, formation, fruition. 2015, we actually launched with our first class. And and if Mike, if our president were here, she would tell you it's a little bit like starting a football program. No stadium, no coaches, uh, no players, but we got a lot of cheerleaders. And that's kind of what those first, uh, you know, two years looked like before the players and faculty the coaches arrived uh, there in 2016 or 2015, excuse me. Nate, when we think about ag departments, and I'm sure many of our listeners have come up through ag departments at some of the great schools across this country, there's a lot of ag departments. There's a lot out there. What made you think Huntington University needed that here on this campus? Well, certainly in Indiana, we have a wonderful research uh, institution, uh, the Boilermakers, Purdue University. And and so when we looked at the space, and especially here in Northeast Indiana, uh, that we were just a little further away from West Lafayette. In fact, we're uniquely positioned between East Lansing and Columbus and West Lafayette. Uh, so pick your Big Ten school. Uh, we found that there was a space here. There was a space for uh, especially a Christ-centered, faith-based institution to launch uh, an agricultural studies program. And uh, it was as we had conversations with the folks in this area, really southern Michigan, uh, northern Indiana, uh, northwest Ohio, they really rallied around this and said, we have a lot of students, maybe our own kids or grandkids, nieces and nephews that may not want to travel to one of those other uh, uh, schools. Maybe they want a smaller campus. Maybe they wanted that place where they took their you know, their faith seriously uh, as they do in their families. This became that idea that really started to, to catch a lot of steam uh, and move quickly. As we talked to people, people really affirmed us and said, hey, we're behind you. We think you should do this. So you're seven years in, eight years in 2023 with students in campus. Is it growing? Nate, are you finding there's a call for this type of education in this geography? Mike, I am amazed. Uh, simply amazed. Uh, yes, to answer that question, we have students uh, from all over the Midwest, but obviously uh, we've kind of went even beyond that. Uh, the flyover state of Indiana, sometimes we kind of, you know, hold our head going, gosh, are people going to come here? They are in droves. Uh, we have students from as far away as uh, just south of Los Angeles, uh, western New York, uh, Ontario. And these are ag these students, are ag from, students. From, from L.A. coming here to study agriculture. And you know, the common denominator in many of these are they were involved in FFA, common huh. 4-H. As you've met a couple of these students that are very sharp, uh, uh, they found an opportunity that they could blaze a new trail, you know, to be a part of something that was new uh, in its infancy those first few years. And now, as you mentioned, eight, nine years into it, we're seeing these students raising their hands saying, I want to go to a place like Huntington, again, the faith component, but also the success rates that we're having with the majors that we're launching on uh, agriculture, the support that we've had around uh, from fairly decent sized uh, companies, as you've met some of those today that are saying, hey, we know there's a space for this. And we've had uh, some of these other institutions around us, even like the folks at Purdue University that know that the umbrella for agriculture is pretty wide. It's pretty big. 
like uh, we know that there's a space to get more students into this, you know, and graduate them and have them working in this industry, which in Indiana, is, as you've learned, uh, a great economy here in Indiana, especially when it relates to the agricultural industry. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's here. Obviously, Indiana is an ag state, but it's growing. Nate, as you look out to the future for particularly that next level, maybe above the production level of agriculture, is that where you see Huntington poised to graduate these students for success? We certainly do. And look at the companies that have now called Indiana home for their world headquarters. You know, in Indianapolis, there's a number of companies uh, that have said, hey, we want to be in this space and we know that there's a talent base here. Uh, so we are. We're seeing the growth. We're seeing the jobs. Uh, 35 graduates already. Uh, that are all employed or attending grad school in places uh, that they're going off to, like Michigan State and, and Ohio State. Um, our own MBA program here, we see a number of students that are continuing their education even once they graduate. Uh, but we know we got a lot of jobs to fill. Uh, yes. You know, the USDA and Purdue, their their job outlook still says, hey, we've got a lot of vacancies. Even though we talked about the the employment and you know rates and, and job rates earlier today, we know the ag industry still has a lot that we're trying to fill. Oh, absolutely. I think you can talk to any producer out there and they're looking to hire folks there on their operation. Nate, you mentioned 35 graduates so far. You've got a number of majors on offer. As you're crafting this to, to make a space for Huntington in the ag, uh, ag education ecosystem, what majors jumped out at you as things that you really felt Huntington needed to have? So we launched with agribusiness. You know, I think that was one that was a little broad stroke of the brush. Uh, where and you already had a business school. We had a business program. I'm a product of that business program years ago, uh, but came from the farm, uh, came from Northwest Ohio. And there were students like me that were already here. Students like me that graduated in the business program and then wanted to do something in agriculture. We had a number of those. Uh, side note, many of us played sports. Uh, you know, uh, uh, as an NAI school, we have uh, some really good talent. Uh, maybe not uh, when they get here a D1 uh, competitor, but com pretty competitive in D2, Division three. But there's an opportunity for some of those local farm kids maybe to play sport, continue that on. What we found is not everybody here came from the farm. You know, so we saw that opportunity that people had an option to study business, broad stroke of the brush with agriculture. Uh, the next year we launched Ag Education. We saw mm -hmm. this is going really well, but we want to teach future teachers. Sure. We look at our high schools and know there's some vacancies in those ag education roles, and we're trying to fill some, some of those. A few years later, we launched agronomy. In the same year, we launched animal science. Next fall, we're starting a, in partnership, a dual uh, degree concurrently offered with Purdue University uh, and applied associate science in uh, vet nursing. And, and also will those students be on campus here they, in Huntington? They will, Mike. They are going to be having, you know, they'll receive their Purdue course uh, offered digitally to them while they're a full-time student here at Huntington University, also at the same time earning their bachelor's degree in animal health. So another new major for us. So the growth is, uh, it's here. Uh, we're seeing it and we're certainly enjoying the students and you've got to meet some of them today. They're just wonderful individuals. Uh, I'm excited. I I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about this next generation, uh, what we have to look forward to. I think you're exactly right. I want to echo that. I did meet several students today. They all had many, many majors and minors, a commitment to learning more about agriculture, which is fantastic to see. Nate, if we've got listeners who, who might want to look at, at Huntington for their, their students, where can they go to get more information? Uh, World Wide Web is a great spot to find us, uh, huntington.edu slash agriculture. Uh, and we would love to interact with people. If there's listeners out there that may have a son or daughter, a grandson, granddaughter, niece, nephew want to be involved, we'd love to have a conversation with them invite them to campus. Fantastic. Folks, that's Nate Perry, the Managing Director of the Hoppert Institute for Agricultural Studies here at Huntington University. Nate, so, thanks so much for the opportunity to see this campus, and uh, thanks for talking with us today. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it as well. Folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up from Tokyo when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. 
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Thanks for listening. Taking a look at the markets this morning, there is some red on the screen. Soybeans, old crop down 19 to 22 cents. Corn down 4 to 8. The goal out there is to try and drive up that demand for American agricultural products. And corn growers are doing that right now. Currently, there's a meeting taking place in Tokyo. It's the USAPEAK, the U.S. Poultry Export Council's Strategic planning conference and we're joined for this next segment by two representatives of america's corn growers who are in tokyo michael granche serves as the manager for market development there at the national corn growers association michael thanks for joining us from tokyo my pleasure mike thanks for having us and we've also got john delmati he serves as a vice president for michigan corn growers also working over there in tokyo and john what are you talking to these folks in japan about from a michigan corn growers perspective Hey, John, we still got you on the line there. Let's let's try something else here. There he goes. Well, right. John, so tell me, what, what are you talking about uh, in Japan from a Michigan corn grower's perspective? So I, I think we're starting the conversation um, about uh, the quality that, uh, that U.S. corn can provide um, to the poultry industry. Um, we bring a, a safe... Uh, sustainable product um, to the marketplace to to feed poultry, um, and and I think one of the big issues that that we're able to address is that we're we're willing to move corn however we can. Uh, if if we can move corn in the form of grain or DDG or ethanol, that's great. Those are those are really common practices. But in this case, um, we're talking about poultry. So we're moving corn in the form of, of meat or eggs. And, um, 
and we provide a very good product to help get that um, to the tables here um, in Japan and across the world. Absolutely. When we're rolling that corn off the farm, we can do it in a semi-truck grain trailer, or we can do it in the belly of a critter, be it beef or poultry. Michael, from the perspective of the National Corn Growers Association, how big of a market is poultry largely for corn producers? Mike, that's a great question. Uh, poultry is a top two customer um, for, for American corn farmers. And so um, looking at the 2022 market year, um, actually because directly related to poultry exports, um, that returned uh, 28 cents on every single bushel of corn uh, for that 2022 market year. So um, like I said, top customer, um, and, and we're just so grateful uh, to, to be here joining with our partners in Usapeak uh, and, and with the broader poultry industry. And Michael, you're here at Strategic Planning Conference for Usapeak. For those of us who don't get invited to fancy global get-togethers of people, what is under discussion? What are they trying to put together to grow poultry consumption around the world? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Um, UCPEAK has um, a very, very large uh, global footprint. So um, we this week we've been joined by all of their regional directors. So we've gotten uh, reports from um, from Japan to Korea. We'll be talking about uh, Mexico and Central America tomorrow. And so um, you know, part of the strategic planning um, discussions this week have, have really been conversational and, and, and activity based. And so, you know, the the kind of segment begins with with kind of a quick update from the region and, and what's working and, and what marketing tools and um, and access strategies that they've implemented uh, for the 2022 market year. But the, but then we open up the conversation a little bit broader and start, um, you know, having some of that that share that that sharing discussion and and trying to figure out what we can do in our pool of influence to help move the needle and drive that export demand uh, and, and continue to increase it. And, and as you know, that last year, the past two years really have, have, have been hard. Uh, supply chain disruptions and, and uh, re that reliability of getting product to market, um, it's been tough. So some of these key partners have, have had market disruption. There's, there's been drop uh, in U.S. market share um, and, and tariffs have, have continue to, to be a threat to market access. And so, you know, this week we're, we're, we're getting creative and, and really, again, trying to signal that the U.S. is here, uh, will continue to be here. And like John said, we've got a sustainable, safe and high quality product that we want to get in the hands of consumers across the world. Michael, you said something that's been so crucial to ag trade over the past three years, and those are the trade barriers or the trade distortions, I guess we could say, whether it's tariffs, whether it's a lack of free trade agreements. John, as you sit and have these conversations over in Tokyo, has the subject of trade come up with this crowd? I think it comes up in every single market that we look at, whether we're talking about Asia um, or the Middle East. Um, it, it's definitely um, a challenge everywhere that we go. Um, I think as, as a corn grower member of a, an association like National Corn, or in my case more specifically, Michigan Corn, it really shows the value that our organizations bring to the table um, when we talk about And so that being said, um, we are able to help leverage the the membership of our organizations to hopefully help um, the poultry industry have conversations um, with legislators about the importance of free trade um, across the globe um, in an effort to move their products, more specifically poultry and eggs, into those markets. John, you used a great word there. You said leverage. We'll leverage the NCGA membership to help provide more resources for those folks that use corn from the United States of America. And Michael, I know that's something you've been working on quite a bit from the NCGA staff perspective. Can you talk about some of the partnerships with USAPEAK in particular to help drive more of those poultry sales around the world? I sure can. Um, to, yeah, about a year and a half ago, we partnered with USAPEAK. Um, on updating uh, their buyer guides. And so um, those guides hadn't been updated since uh, the late uh, 90s. And so um, the buyer guides provide an opportunity for us to showcase that high quality American product uh, for turkey, for duck, for egg, and for chicken. And so uh, actually just uh, uh, very recently, this team helped fund and sponsor um, actually building in a, a trade lead tool. And so um, because these guides are, are powered through Google, they automatically are translating uh, to whatever native language for the region. And so 
importers across the world can see that product and then actually from there kind of go through uh, and, and start that purchase order. And so uh, right now we're working with Usapeak to, to kind of build um, kind of a feedback survey. And so that will enable importers and exporters to kind of rate each other. Um, but that way we know what product's moving and, and kind of then based from those calculations, we can kind of figure out too, uh, from the you know perspective of corn growers, we can figure out how much corn we're moving um, in, in real time, thanks to poultry exports. So really, really exciting uh, stuff going on. And, and again, just so grateful to, to work with such a, a broad outreach organization. Absolutely. And Michael, those buyer's guides, are those aimed at consumers in these countries or are these aimed at the meat retailers who could be buying it for import? That's right. The later. So um, focus towards uh, kind of that importer audience. Ah, okay. Getting it, it into the hands of the folks who are going to get it into the hands of more people. That is the way you want it to run. While we've got you both with us, of course, John, sitting in Tokyo, but representing the state of Michigan, we've got questions about the acreage mix in this coming growing season. John, so my question to you is up in Michigan, do we have a sense yet on, uh, on how that acreage mix is going to look? Does it look heavy corn this year? So uh, interestingly enough, we had this conversation at our state uh, growers board meeting last week, and uh, the survey around the room was that we intend to pretty much keep our rotation the same. Um, there obviously were um, a couple operations that uh, will have changes, um, you know, due to just, you know, e either picking up more acreage as a whole for their operation, but overall their mix uh was was going to stay about the same so i feel pretty confident that um that we're going to get a corn crop planted and um but i i think that uh at least for michigan um we're going to be relatively flat relatively flat how much snow is on the ground up there in michigan john's quite a bit no um not much at all as a matter of fact um of course northern michigan always is known for for snow and the snow belt up there but um i'm i'm located in southern michigan um just north of the ohio border um we have have not had much snow at all this um this winter which raised some concerns about uh, moisture um but we've we've certainly made it that up with uh some significant rainfall over the last several weeks so um i i don't think spring's far away it's not, and it sounds like there's reasons for optimism there. Michigan growers not uh, not sitting too wet as of yet. Michael, if we've got listeners who want to keep up to speed with the work at NCGA, where should they go for that information? Go to ncga.com. We'd love to have you get involved. Um, talk to your legislators. Support free trade agreements. And just remember, when the world trades, uh, the world wins. When the world trades, the world wins. Michael Granchi, I will be stealing that comment. Our thanks today to Michael Granchi, Marketing uh, Director there at NCJ, and John Del Monte, Vice President of the Michigan Corn Growers Association. Thanks for joining us, both of you. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure to talk to you. And you. you bet. And folks, stick around. Arlen Suderman will join us next. We'll talk through this breakdown in the commodity markets as it develops today. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. 
Well, today is Fed Day on Wall Street. Today's focus will primarily be on this afternoon's Federal Reserve policy statement and on what is spoken on during the press conference that follows the statement's release. Stock futures were quietly mixed ahead of today's Fed statement, while the broader commodity sector faces headwinds created by a mixture of Fed and banking worries. Commodity traders simply see the glass as half empty currently, yet the VIX traded near 21 this morning, reflecting modestly heightened levels of anxiety on Wall Street, but certainly few signs of panic. Now, the dollar index is traded to fresh five-week lows as it currently sits right around 103. Yields on 10-year treasuries firm to trade near 3.62% ahead of the Fed statement, while yields on two-year treasuries traded near 4.23%. Crude oil prices are quietly lower this morning, while the grain and oilseed markets are also mostly lower. Now, the broader commodity sector remains under a cloud of recession fears. That cloud first built over the commodity sector roughly 11 months ago, and it has varied in its intensity. The cloud showed signs of parting earlier this year, but problems with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank intensified the cloud once again. That means that all supply and demand fundamental news is viewed through a lens of skepticism about demand. That lens will change again one day, but the question still remains when. Crude oil leads the way down for the energy sector, while wheat leads the way down for the grain and oilseed sector. Wheat's primary problem at this point is the large supply within Russia that continues to pressure global prices. Russia is expected to produce a smaller crop in 2023, but it will continue to have ample supplies carried over from last year, including supplies confiscated from Ukrainian territory. Now, corn supplies face the biggest challenges, followed by soybeans, but the trade's not quite concerned about that right now. And China's President Xi Jinping completed his three-day visit to Moscow with the signing of a series of bilateral agreements that will strengthen the ties between China and Russia. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. If you have had a chance to check the commodity markets today and you're a seller, it might not have been a very good look. We've got corn down 5 to 8 cents, soybeans off 19 to 20, and wheat down 20 to 24 in Chicago. Joining us for an update on this market is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist over at Stonex. And Arlen, why are the wheels falling off the soybean and wheat markets today? Well, it's really kind of a risk-off in the grain and oil seeds, and I know that sounds kind of simple, you know, putting it over, simplifying it, but right now there's a big concern in the marketplace about recession, and so the major funds are just sellers, and in the process of doing that, they've turned the chart signals lower, and there's no strong story to counter that right now, so the momentum is to the downside, and and they're piling on right now, and uh, we're seeing we're seeing wheat prices, energy prices go to long-term lows, lows that we haven't seen now for well over a year. Uh, corn and soybeans are kind of following the same path, heading that way. Uh, corn is probably holding up the best right now, but it's in negative territory as well. It's kind of trying to hold some key support areas right now. And uh, if that gives way, then it could fall, you know, subject to the weakness that we're seeing in the other commodities as well. Not really a new fundamental story here. In fact, if you look at the fundamentals for corn and soybeans, especially for corn, I would argue that we probably ought to be going the other way. 
Um, but this is a case where um, the market is looking at all supply and demand fundamentals through a lens that's colored by recession fears, tied to the whole regional bank worries and what the Federal Reserve may do. Might it turn around after this afternoon's Federal Reserve decision? It might or it might get worse. Uh, that's hard to tell. That's going to depend on how the Federal, what the Federal Reserve communicates and the tone in which they communicate it. Arlen, of course, we're waiting for that Fed announcement. It will come after the close of commodity trade, I believe, later today. Which, as of over the past six months, when the Fed has come out with a meeting, we've known they were going to be raising interest rates. There might have been a question as to how much the Fed might raise interest rates, but we knew that was going to be the plan. This meeting this afternoon is entirely different. And do you think it works better for the commodities if the Fed hikes rates or pauses and, and or cuts them potentially? Which is going to be a better outcome maybe tomorrow for the commodities? You know, I think how they communicate is going to be more important than what they communicate. Uh, are they going to put calm back in the markets or are they going to increase fear? And how will the market interpret that? Uh, it, it was just a couple of weeks back that we heard uh, Fed, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell testify before the Senate Banking Committee and the House Financial Services Committee. And in both of those days of testimony, he emphasized that the data continues to show hotter than expected inflation and a more resilient than expected economy, and that we're probably going to need to look at raising rates at a faster clip once again to get this inflation under control, the wage inflation and shelter inflation being the primary targets that they need to be able to pull down. The banking crisis didn't change those facts. So prior to the banking crisis with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, the market was fully anticipating that we were going to see a 50 basis point rate hike in today's meeting. And then we were going to be somewhere around 6 to probably a little above 6% for peak interest rates. Uh, that was the full expectation. Since the Silicon Valley Bank failure and Signature Bank failure, the market has been telling us that the Fed is going to have to pivot. But the market doesn't know. The market has been wrong for the last year, and, and it's been all over the place in expectations of what's going to happen today. Now, over the last week or 10 days, I'm sure the Federal Reserve has been assessing the health of the regional banking system. Is this a one-off situation, or is this a deeply ingrained problem? The Fed has communicated that it, know, it does not want to make the same mistake that it made back in 1980 when it pulled back, when we started incurring some pain in the economy, pulled back on interest rates too quickly, and inflation took off and became an even bigger problem, requiring the Fed to get even more aggressive and in taking interest rates over 20%. It, and it is said, we don't want to make that same mistake. So that was their mindset going into this. So while the market is saying the Fed has to pull back, if the Fed does pull back and reverse, that's going to communicate to the market, oh, no, they must know something we don't about the regional banks. They may be in worse trouble than we think. If they get aggressive with rate hikes, they may say, oh, the, and this is, we saw this with the European Central Bank last week where they raised rates 50 basis points. And the market said, oh, they must know that the banks are doing okay. And that instilled confidence in the markets after that decision. Now, it's not just about appearance, they actually have to respond based on what they know, because if they perceive that the regional banks could really collapse under additional rate hikes, they will have to pull back. But if they do pull back, that means more pain down the road uh, with probably even higher rates. So they're in a really tough spot today. They are indeed. We'll get some certainty, at least in the near term, when the Fed comes out with that announcement later this afternoon. Folks, we'll be sure to talk about that tomorrow, no doubt, when they uh, when they make that release. But Arlen, I want to bring the focus then back to the fundamentals. You mentioned the corn market is holding up relatively well. We're down to three to four cents at old crop, down seven and new in December. What is it about the corn balance sheet that's keeping these values relatively elevated today? Well, it's, it's a global tightness in supplies. And if you look at the world supplies of corn minus China, 
which is not an exporter, they're an importer, and minus the United States. So what's the status of the rest of the world? It's about a 35, 36-day supply, which is the tightest that we've been in 20 years. Ukraine is expected to produce half the crop that it did two years ago this year, and that's an optimistic outlook. Argentina's crop looks to be down about 40% from a normal crop. They're the number so there's the number four and number three exporters in the world. The number two exporter in the world, which would be Brazil, got its safrina corn crop, which is its exportable corn, planted very late. If they have a longer rainy season this year, and if they don't have any freezes through their winter in the areas of Paraná and southern Mato Grosso do Sul, they can still produce a big crop. Those are big ifs right now. And so there's still significant risk they could have a short crop. We're going to be very wet with narrow planting windows in the eastern Midwest, it looks like, this year, and a heavy snowpack in the northern plains, northwestern Midwest, where they wanted to plant a lot of corn this year. So there's a lot of risks out there at a time when the world balance sheet is tight with not much room for error. That's preventing additional selling, in my opinion. And China has seen this, and they have started to come in and buy this price break and get more active in buying corn. I think they're going to end up buying more corn than USDA anticipates. So the fundamentals are looking much better for me for corn. It's just that the market right now, the corn market is getting pulled down by everything else that's happening around it. That's right. It can't stick its head above these broader market issues. Now, Arlen, it does appear to be a little bit different picture on the soybean side. We do have that big Brazilian crop making its way to the ports. How do exports look so far out of Brazil or South America more broadly? A pretty aggressive export program right now out of Brazil. They've had uh, some problems out of one of their ports where heavy rains have caused some landslides and helped block some roads at some times, but that's a small part of their overall exports. And so as we looked at overall volume, they are getting out what they need to get out. Uh, and uh, so it doesn't change the big picture that much. Argentina's crop does, as you indicate, continue to get smaller. Uh, the latest private estimates that I've seen from the area seem to be congregating around that 45 excuse me, 25 million metric ton range. So they're talking about half a crop or less of soybeans. I've been pretty bearish soybeans to this point because of the big Brazilian crop. But now, if in fact we do see, and mind you, USDA is still at 41 million metric tons. If Argentina's crop is as small as 25 million metric tons or smaller, then that in would end up with world st uh, production this year being basically equal to where we were two years ago with demand being about 11 or 12 million metric tons higher this year than what it was two years ago. So it starts to tighten things up. It doesn't put us in an overly tight situation, but it doesn't start allow us to build stocks back up either. It kind of keeps us in a very similar situation over the coming year. So I'm not quite as bearish about the soybean fundamentals as I was here just a few weeks ago. Arlen, cattle producers, hog producers, end users of soybean meal have been looking for a little bit of relief. And for the month of March, we've seen meal prices come down nearly $50 here in the front month. Is this indication that Argentinian crush is going to move ahead? They'll get beans from Brazil maybe and, and meet their meal demands? Yeah, I'd say South American meal production at this point because a lot of beans will go south from Brazil and Paraguay into Argentina to be crushed. And what they don't ship south to be crushed, Brazil has added capacity uh, to crush and export meal as well. And uh, so right now as we look at our U.S. export demand, we're not seeing any signs of panic or really significant increases in demand. This is, that's still a consistent story. So while my overall outlook of beans has started to improve a little bit, uh, it really hasn't for the meal side. And I think that uh, the market's starting to realize that and we're breaking lower. And with uh, biodiesel, renewable diesel, we're going to be crushing more anyway. It is coming, folks. We've been talking today with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. And Arlen, as always, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stay with us when AOA returns. We're going to talk weather. That active pattern continues. And Greg Solier, meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness, will join us when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. 
fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of the United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. 
That's gotyour6.org. Using the number six. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We're going to turn our focus to the skies, talk about what is coming from a weather perspective. Joining us now is meteorologist Greg Solier. You can see him each weekend on This Week in Agribusiness. Greg, we continue to see snow moving across the northern plains. Is there any chance of snow up north again today? Uh, yeah, well, there's a couple of little fragmented areas uh, here, one winding its way and exiting out of the arrowhead of Minnesota up towards the Sault Ste. Marie, the uh, parts of the south-central Canadian prairie, uh, still a little batch of uh, snow shower floor activity north of about Bismarck up to Mandan, and then still some snow around the Black Hills into the Nebraska Panhandle, little bits and pieces of these uh, uh, disturbances in the short term that have put down another one to four over parts of the uh, at least eastern Dakotas, south to the Black Hills, another eight into the arrowhead of Minnesota. So again, it's the upper Midwest, northern plains that continues to be well snow-packed, snow cover, and some of that snow on the ground that you see out there, uh, with the exception of maybe the western Dakotas and eastern Big Sky, where we had some of those downslope uh, winds a few weeks ago. There's been snow on the ground in that territory and for, uh, northward uh, since just about mid-November. So that's a fur piece of time there. And the snows kind of trickle and trail their way on a kind of a weakening weather system for now. We're not done with the nonsense into the west and southwest, but some snow into the uh, mountains of Arizona around Flagstaff and into the central Rockies and through Colorado uh, with uh, additional, that's another way to spin it, some additional drought relief uh, for those folks around here. But uh, again, just kind of the vanguard of what continues to be. And I know it's a term that we just continue to use like a broken record or CD or whatever your media type is these days, kind of a broken record around here that just the beat goes on uh, around here. And the cold air source as well remains very much dominant. They were down 20 to 25 below zero north of Ottawa over the southeastern parts of the Canadian Prairie, Hudson Bay, James Bay. And we'll continue to see waves of that kind of cold manifest itself over the uh, Canadian Prairie here on a pretty regular basis out the next 10 days to two weeks. So uh, the calendar says springtime, astronomically speaking, but not much of it showing up, at least as it applies to the northern plains of the upper Midwest. Well, we're certainly getting plenty of springtime showers, Greg, particularly along the West Coast. These atmospheric rivers that have slammed into California have certainly uh, helped alleviate a lot of drought. They've driven a lot of news cycles. And I'm wondering, will these atmospheric rivers, A, continue? And B, does that moisture push its way over the Rockies and impact Corn Belt? Uh, yeah, 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 yes, it does. And yes, it does. Uh, maybe not quite the trajectory that we saw coming off what we used to call back in the El Nino days, and I don't even want to date myself here how many years those go back, uh, but uh, systems that used to originate uh, out of uh, Hawaii and make their run into the Pacific West, including California. This is These systems have at times come down through the Gulf of Alaska, wound their way into the Pacific Northwest, drop almost north to south across uh, California and swing to the north and at northeast. And we'll see that again with a one two, three of these systems and another doozy of a one expected to not only take aim at the Pacific Northwest early first thing next week, but probably mid to late next week, all the way into the valleys of California. 55 to 60 inches of rain if you were to melt like the snowpack out of the Sierra and to trickle that down. So we add to that, we melt some of that snow, and of course we had rain on top of it. No wonder there continues to be uh, issues out across uh, the Western states in particular for California. The Northern extent of those things will uh, clip us on a pretty regular basis. At times we get into the Northern branch of the jet and we mix some of that Pacific moisture in if you wanna know how the sausage is gonna be made around here. And again, no less than three separate identifiable, eh, kind of light to moderate snow systems. Again, aimed at the Dakotas, the upper Midwest, the Northern Great Lakes, region, maybe as far south as Nebraska and the central Rockies. And so the beat goes on there. And, you know, we haven't made mention of the much of the eastern and southern Corn Belt remains well watered down uh, in excess mode. Another one to three, one to four, somewhere in that range, uh, central and southern Corn Belt locales. And even in the deep south, they have not escaped any of the uh, trickle down effect of some of this cold. The uh, past couple of weeks, it's been recurrent frost and freeze. They're 30 degrees warmer. And it should stay that way, but a fair amount of rain moving on through the deep south and southeast. So a lot of those 
folks down there, their ornamentals, their fruit trees are running uh, four, five, six weeks ahead of schedule, and they were knit pretty good with mid-20s to low-30s. So the assessment uh, continues on down there coming off the recent frost and freeze. Greg, we've got ample moisture coming down along the West Coast. We've got reasonable moisture along the northern Great Plains with that snowpack. We've had ample across the southeast, and then, of course, eastern Corn Belt's done okay. That southern Great Plains, Oklahoma panhandle, yep. panhandle, that drought bullseye, are they expected to get any relief from these systems moving across? You know, and there's a saying in the weather business, dry grounds began to dry weather pattern, and when those grounds are wet and saturated, kind of uh, leans towards a wetter weather pattern. Sometimes the models don't quick up, uh, pick up on something as simplified as that, but it is, there's truth to it. Uh, so, you know, it's nominal improvement, nominal, uh, in, you know, in general impact on some of these weather systems. If you were to pencil a line North Platte to Oklahoma City West, it's been a little trickle down. You get more snow in the mountains. That's good news. But some of those central and southern winter wheat belt locales, I don't know, pick your number, 55, 65, 70, 75 percent, poor, very poor, dry, too poor, or too dry, I should say, out of uh, Nebraska southward in through Texas. So it's really haves or haves not in that dividing line, Eastern Plains versus Western Plains. And yeah, we'll get some, I think, spring improvement. Will we eradicate it? Don't think so. Uh, will it get too wet? Yeah, we think so over the Corn Belt locales. Will it stay kind of cold and snowy? And do we need to keep an eye on, by the way, it's that time of the year when we start talking about uh, you know, flood melt issues across the Red River Valley of the North, the upper Midwest, Eastern Dakotas. I think this will be a little more you know, problematic, more troublesome. We get it every year, so to speak. Uh, but this may be a little more impactful compared to some of the past couple of years where we've been in somewhat of a drop mode across uh, the upper Midwest. Greg, you mentioned, could it be too wet? And you said yes. Is it the Eastern Corn Belt that could be looking at the biggest threat of a wet bias this year? Yeah, I think everyone early on, early in the mid-springtime, most everyone, and that will include an additional drought relief in the Western Belt. But with time, we think the wetter issues and replanting issues, I think it's this year, it's Michigan, it's Eastern and Southern Wisconsin, it's Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. It's that general corridor that needs to be watched. I think we go from too wet to nominal to maybe getting too dry. Assuming we go to El Nino here for the Northern and Central Plains and Western Corn Belt locales, it will be variable. We'll redefine that for another year across the heart. All right, folks, keep your eye on the sky. That's Greg Sully, a meteorologist with This Week in Agribusiness. Tune in this weekend to get his forecast. And folks, thanks for joining us today. Tune in tomorrow. We'll have more AOA covering the issues that matter to agriculture. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. 
They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.